Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Yesterday, of course, we were talking about the announcement from Alberta Health and Health Canada that there will be four safe injection or consumption sites in Edmonton, one in Lethbridge, and a decision on one here at the Sheldon Schumer Centre should be made by the end of this month. So if we are getting that close to opening a safe consumption site, thought we should find out more about them. Miranda Compton, Regional Director of Prevention at Vancouver Coastal Health, joins us today. Hello, Miranda. Hi, Angela. I wanted to talk to you because whenever we hear of these supervised injection sites or safe consumption sites, we often hear about Vancouver's InSight. How long has InSight been around? InSight has now been around for 14 years. Um, so it's 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 amazing to think about, but yeah, it's it's become an integral part of our system of care here in Vancouver. Well, and I, I like the fact that it's been 14 years because then maybe you've got a, a database there as far as what the reduction you've seen in overdoses and things like that. But first of all, how does it work? I am an addict. What do I do when I go to Insight? You walk through the doors, and you know you're asked to provide. Um, very minimal information about who you are, just, you know, a little bit of um, just really uh, however you want to identify yourself. You'd be, you know, we'd do a minimal registration. Um, you know, a nurse will talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, what the substance you'll be using and, and you'll be given clean supplies to, um, to, to use, which is the most important thing, to ensure you have the equipment that you need to use safely as safely as possible. And then at Insight, we have um, 12 booths, so you would be, um, you would be um, directed to a booth where you would then be able to consume your drugs. Um, there's nurses in the room, um, but they're you know, maintaining a distance. This is really just you know, about providing a space where um, you can consume your drugs and someone standing by who uh, knows how to intervene in the case of an overdose. You're bringing in your own drugs. Your own drugs, yes. Do you treat heroin addicts with methadone? Not at Insight, but that would be a conversation that, you know, always the nurses and, and the uh, mental health workers and substance use workers that are, are working at the site um, will be, would be, you know, ready and willing to engage in a conversation about, do you know the services that are available? Have you thought about methadone or Suboxone, which is another agonist therapy, um, which is, you know, quite effective in treating opiate addiction? So that those, those conversations are always on the ready to be had. It's very much a client-driven um, service. So, you know, the whole sort of concept of harm reduction is starting where the client's at. Um, and sort of following their lead, but those are those are the sort of that's the goal is to really provide, you know, an entry and a, a supportive entry into the system of care, and then pathways to get to the right kind of addictions care. Do you have or, do you have statistics, Miranda? Because as you say, that is the ultimate goal is to be able to maybe get them on the right path to recovery. Do you have statistics when it comes to people who have found help through uh, a program like Insight? We do, I mean we we know that we we. we know that there are many people that find that you know pathways to treatment I don't have hard numbers for you and it's just really a part of the sort of low barrier nature of the setting is that we um, we allow people to use handles and so it it's a you know it, it it's um, handles being sort of a pseudonym so it, you know it's it's sometimes a little challenging to sort of follow them right through the system of care hmm. we also know with addictions it's it's not a linear process 
Um, so we know people will, you know, enter into treatment and it, it'll take, you know, sometimes multiple tries, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a long winding path, yeah. um, you know, towards health and healing. So, you know, the goal of, of supervised consumption sites is it's one component in our much broader system of care. And the goal for, the, for, for these services really is to provide that entry point to sort of get people feeling in a supported space so that they can, you know, trust in the system and can contemplate the next thing. There's always this concern, Miranda, when we talk about these sites that, oh, it's going to be a a magnet for drug dealers. They know that they'll be able to hang around these locations because that's where addicts are going. What are things like around the Insight site? Yes, I would say, you know, 14 years ago, this was one of the number one, you know, one of the main, you know, main concerns of, of the community. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, police, our police were, and our, and our city partners were all really involved in, you know, or, in organizing or implementing the site um, back at the time. And, and we really monitored this, but we did not see an increase in dealer activity. Um, and actually the police, I mean, if you, if you talk to the police in Vancouver, they'll say that, that's, you know, Insight was really an important um, service for them to be able to, you know, when they're engaging with somebody who um, uses substances, that they will always refer them to Insight and really strongly, you know, recommend that they go there and they'll even walk them over. And so they're a big part of sort of our referral network. Um, and and they found it to be a really a positive component of our sort of our system of care. And they haven't seen, we, we haven't had any documented evidence of, um, you know, an increase in sort of criminal activity around the sites. Miranda, thanks for the conversation. I know we'll be uh, talking to uh, police and all those other angles as well as we see what happens down here in Calgary. I think, thank you so much for the time. You're welcome. Best of luck. Miranda Compton, Regional Director of Prevention at Vancouver Coastal Health. It's 517. It's half hour. I want to find out more about this uh, decision by Health Canada approving four safe drug consumption sites safe injection sites. There's lots of different names, but the whole idea behind it. And uh, Tom Vernon, Provincial Affairs Reporter with Global Edmonton, joins me. Hi, Tom. Hi, Angela. How are you today? I'm doing well. So uh, give me the details. What did Health Canada decide today? Yeah, so there were a number of applications uh, here in Alberta for these supervised consumption sites, and uh, four, five of them actually have been uh, approved, uh, four in Edmonton and one in Lethbridge. And essentially what this will allow is... Um, and users of, of drugs, uh, particularly in the wake of the fentanyl crisis, to go into a room where they can take these drugs and then be monitored by, by a nurse and to ensure that, you know, if they overdose, they get uh, immediate uh, medical care. Um, there's also a, a site in Lethbridge that has been approved. Um, and they say that w- there will be kind of what they call wraparound services also available at these sites. So there'll be access to social workers, access to um, addiction specialists if these people uh, so choose to, to access those services. They say like, if, if once you're ready to try and kick the habit, they, they need to have support, then there will be access to them there. So five sites, four in Edmonton, including one at the Royal Alex Hospital and one in Lethbridge so far. Um, there's, they expect approval for one in Calgary by the end of October as well. Um, there's an application in for the... Uh, Sheldon Schumer Health Center. And sorry if I said that wrong. No, you said it right. Uh, Tom, who operates these sites? So it sounds like it's it's going to be the uh, the the uh, the organizations themselves. So here in Edmonton, the three of them uh, that are outside the hospital: it's the Boyle Macaulay Health Center, the Boyle Community Services, and George Spady Center. So these ones are being uh, run by a kind of a group called the Access to Medically Supervised Injection Services Edmonton. So they'll kind of take the lead on it. But because there's nurses and wraparound services, the provinces will the province will be involved as well. Uh, funding will come from the province in Edmonton it's going to cost about 2.7 million dollars 
Tom, they are taking drugs that they're bringing into the clinic, aren't they? Because I I sometimes have listeners saying, you're kidding. We're actually buying these drugs for these addicts? Yeah, no, I I don't believe that's how it works. I think they they bring their drugs in and it's just a safe place for them to take these drugs. Yeah, so they'll... Yeah, I don't think there's, you know, the dealer isn't sitting at the window on the site and then carry on on your way. But yeah. I don't believe that's how it works. Yeah, uh, Tom, four sites. Um, can you give me an idea of the location of these sites and what kind of uh, reaction those communities mm-hmm. had to the applications? Yeah, and in Edmonton here in particular, there was there's been concern raised by uh, the neighborhoods that these are impacting because the Boyle Macaulay Health Center, Boyle Community Services, and George's 80 Center in Edmonton are all really within just a few blocks of each other in the inner core. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked about that. You know, there has been a couple of business uh, groups, a number of community members saying, look, we can't centralize these services and, and expect it all to be in one neighborhood. And we asked that, and they said, look, these sites are needed where the use is most rampant. And what this is doing is, you know, instead of, you know, there being uh, people doing these drugs up against buildings and back alleys and that, they they hope that this will move them into a safer place so it will actually um, reduce the number of used syringes you see in the neighbourhood and the number of people doing drugs you see in the neighbourhood. But, you know, when you speak to community members down there, obviously there's some concern about, look, how how many services could we possibly uh, take on? This needs to be spread out across the city. And I also asked about spreading services across the city because we've seen the numbers on fentanyl. I mean, there's, this isn't just an inner city issue. It, yeah. it is a, a suburbs issue. And they said, look, that they wanted to focus on areas of, of greatest need now, but they do admit that, look, there, there are other locations that are going to need this, and they fully expect further applications in the future. Did police have a say on the application? Haven't heard yet. Mm. Um, we, we spoke with police about a, it was a number of months ago, but what they were calling for here in Edmonton was wraparound services. So I would imagine that, that would they'd be happy to see that there is some wraparound service here so they can you know, help get these people, you know, the addictions treatment help they needed, some uh, shelter supports and that sort of stuff as well. Tom, thanks. Thanks for your time. Tom Fernan, he is Provincial Affairs Reporter with Global Edmonton. Want to take a break here for traffic, but I want to hear from you. 403-974-8255. We know that within the next couple of weeks, we will be hearing that probably Calgary will be following Edmonton's lead and Lethbridge's lead to open up the safe consumption site. I've got my thoughts. What are yours? Let's check traffic. As you've been hearing on the news, Sheldon Schumer Center will be opening a safe injection site. Of course, it was a couple of weeks ago that we heard similar sites would be opening in Edmonton and Lethbridge. Associate Minister of Health Brandy Payne joining us. Hello, Brandy. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Can you give my listeners an idea of how this site will operate at Sheldon Schumer? Yeah, absolutely. So um, opening in the the very near future will be a a temporary uh, site, which will be uh, in a trailer adjacent uh, to the Sheldon Schumer Center. Uh, It's got four booths where um, people will be able to come in um, and get uh, sterile um, uh, drug use supplies, uh, as well as some uh, advice from uh, registered nurse on uh, safer use practices. Uh, and then go to one of the four booths in the temporary site, and it'll be six in the permanent site, um, consume their drugs, and then uh, basically um, hang up for a little bit just to make sure that everything's okay before uh, before exiting the site. Randy, they will be bringing in their own drugs? Yes, that's right. Because every time I talk about these injection sites, I get people texting saying, why is the government giving druggies drugs? So just to be clear, they will be using their own drugs. Why the need for the site? 
Uh, well, we've seen uh, with the, the opioid crisis, just so many um, people have been, been dying and overdosing, unfortunately, um, because we have a, a highly toxic um, illicit drug on the streets. Uh, and so the benefit of these sites is that uh, people will be able to come and if there's any sort of medical concern, uh, if they're at risk of an overdose, we'll be able to provide medical attention to them right away. Um, and it's going to really help to save lives. You talk about the temporary site. Is that going to be opening in a couple of weeks, I understand? Yes, yes, it'll be opening shortly. Uh, and uh, basically the uh, permanent site is within the envelope of the building um, and uh, will be uh, is expected to open uh, early next year. Um, but with there was a you know with the the construction that was required to um, get the the permanent um, part of the building uh, up up to code and um, because of a need for some age back. And so uh, it was really important with the number of people who've overdosed and died in Calgary to get uh, the service operating as soon as possible. Uh, and so uh, AHS put in an application for a, a temporary facility, which is going to be the, the one just on the side of the, the site that will be opening shortly. Uh, and once, uh, once the permanent site opens uh, early in the new year, the temporary one will be de- decommissioned. Is there a chance we'll see more of these sites in Calgary? Uh, I expect that we will. Um, this is, uh, you know, I've often referred to this as like the, the first site that we'll see. The uh, uh, group in Calgary has been doing an analysis, uh, a needs assessment of um, drug users in Calgary to see where uh, other sites might be required, what would be other good locations. Uh, and those recommendations have been uh, submitted uh, just this past week to the government uh, and will be reviewed by our Opioid Emergency Response Commission at their upcoming meeting. Is there a concern where they're located? Because I know Edmonton has four sites that have been approved and there has been some criticism about a concentration of them in one particular area. Uh, well, I think uh, one of the, the key parts when deciding where uh, these should be offered is around where, where people are, are already using drugs, uh, as well as where people are willing to travel to or well, where they will be, where it's, you know, with that ease of access. Um, ultimately, you know, as, uh, during the news conference today, um, Councillor Woolley mentioned that, you know, in, in many ways there's unsupervised and unsafe sites uh, throughout the city where, where people are using their drugs right now, but, but this uh, creates a safe space or safer space um, where that medical attention is available as opposed to, you know, sometimes the alleyways or um, uh, parks where people are currently using. Well, we definitely will see how things roll out. Brandy, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Associate Minister of Health, Brandy Payne. It's 523. Wet and dreary, a perfect Halloween. Very spooky if it wasn't so wet. Although... Apparently, the scattered showers are supposed to let up just in time for the kids to trick-or-treat for a couple of hours. And then, as you've heard in the weather, it's going to be cool starting tomorrow for sure. Thanks so much for joining us. And actually, this afternoon, I want you to text me any of your favorite, I love this, the Halloween show movies. Movies that when it's Halloween, you've got to watch it. You like a good scare. And after 4 o'clock, actually, we're going to talk about the science of fright. What is it that deep down... We might not like to be scared, but we kind of like it. Uh, We'll try to explore that after 4 o'clock. I want, though, to uh, spend this half hour because within the last number of weeks, we have seen Edmonton, Lethbridge, and now Calgary get the go-ahead for safe consumption or safe 
injection sites. They're known by a number of different names here. And it was last week that we talked with Associate Health Minister Brandy Payne because Health Canada had given the go-ahead for one to be operated out of the Sheldon Schumer Centre. And it's going to happen fairly quickly. In the next couple of weeks, they're going to have a temporary trailer in the parking lot before they have a, a more permanent uh, center. And that's why I thought I'd bring on Peter Oliver, president of the Beltline Neighborhoods Association. He joins us today. Hello, Peter. Hello, Angela. Thanks for having me. I thought it was important because whenever we have these conversations, we talk with health ministers or people who maybe we talked to insight from Vancouver. So people mm-hmm. who are already very connected with these consumption sites. And I wanted to maybe get a bit more of a feedback from the neighborhood that's going to see this center open. Uh, Peter, tell me the, the process that has been going on. When was your association notified of this request to open uh, a consumption site at Sheldon Schumer? So if I remember correctly, it was about last May, the, the province reached out to us uh, that this was that this was coming down the line, that they'd made a number of different applications throughout the province and they were sitting with the federal government. And uh, from that point, they talked about uh, kicking off an engagement process with the entire community. And so that's what's happened over the summer. We had a lot of different engagement sessions that were kind of these big round tables with everyone from um, the chief medical officer, Dr. Nick Etches, um, the Calgary Police Service, a lot of people from AHS who are sort of experts in the area, and then people who also have been affected by um, um, other people in their lives who have had addiction problems. And so it was it was a really good kind of lengthy, um, full conversation on, uh, on the issue and, and the way the province was moving about it. And I think, you know, for the most part, it, it went over quite well. I I wonder if initially when your association was approached with this idea, what some of the the reaction was. Peter, do you remember from, and for people who aren't familiar with the Beltline, maybe I should set that up, but high density, lots of apartments. Give me an idea of what your neighborhood's like. It's a real mix of anything. There's, it's the second most populated neighborhood in Calgary, 23,000 people. It's definitely one of the most dense neighborhoods in Canada. Uh, one of the things that is important to take into consideration, though, is that there already are a lot of different social agencies operating in the Beltline. We're not a stranger to these issues. Mm-hmm. And um, the Sheldon Tumors actually had a lot of mental health counseling um, and different clinics operating with it inside of it. And so this was just kind of adding to the suite and uh, the whole opioid, opioid crisis it is new, right? It, it it didn't exist really five, ten years ago to the same extent that we see now. And so I think people have generally understood and recognized that action needed to be taken. What has what has it been like in your neighborhood over the last four or five years with the opioid crisis? Well, I mean, it's hard to say relative to other neighborhoods that we know that 138 people in 2016 died citywide. There were nine inner city, but there were also 28 with no fixed address. And, um, you know, it's not too uncommon to see, you know, an ambulance in the alley or or police, you know, helping someone on the street. I actually witnessed the first uh, overdose just at an apartment building on the front stoop across the street, um, I think sometime in August. And that really made it hit home for me. It was just someone who one minute looked like they were just sitting waiting for a friend to come home and then the next minute 
there was an ambulance on the street and uh, there were paramedics all around them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, this is an issue where it's it's happening whether we like it or not. And so it's whether or not we want to help move these people into places where they can um, hopefully avoid overdoses and hopefully get uh, some counseling and services to help them get off their addictions and also avoid uh, the spread of other infectious diseases, which can happen from uh, use on the streets. Peter, you, you mentioned that um, the Beltline already has a number of social agencies set up there. Do mm-hmm. you think that, I, I guess they have their own specialty then, because some might argue, so aren't those social agencies already trying to help addicts get them off the street, get them into homes? Uh, I'm just wondering about the, the criticism of that. Yeah, I don't think they're able, you know, they're providing an important role. They're they're providing, I think, some of the more basic needs for people like food and shelter and maybe some job counseling and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but this is really getting into a public health issue. And this is kind of, I think, above and beyond their scope and their capability. And um, so I think that's why we have the experts and the doctors at AHS. So the way these clinics are set up to work is there's a number of uh registered nurses on staff, uh, there's counselors and there's community um, counselors, I believe. And they're there to number one, just help them make sure that they can use or consume their drugs safely in a safe environment. And then they can rest for as long as they want afterwards. Um, But then there's sort of that connection, that conduit back to other services within the health system. Were you ever at the table when you were talking about all the different stakeholders? Were you ever there mm-hmm. with Calgary Police Services? Yeah, yeah, I was. Not just at the announcement, but at the consultation session. Right. And did, did they raise concerns or were they there more to say why they they liked the idea? We, we've yet to talk to CPS and we are in okay. the process of doing that. But I, I'm just curious because I think that's another... Uh, the people who are saying we don't want one in our neighborhood are saying we, we don't want to have more druggies. We don't want to have more drug dealers. Did police talk at all about uh, a reduction in crime when we have these consumption sites? Yeah. So, I mean, they've they've talked, Dr. Or, um, Chief uh, uh, Roger Cheffin oh, yeah. has uh, talked about how this isn't a problem that we can deal with solely uh, through enforcement. And what we've actually seen is that these clinics have not led to an increase in in local crime and have actually moved um, a lot of the activity into the supervised areas, into the supervised clinics. Mm -hmm. And uh, what what has helped us as a community is just the partnership with having CPS actually at the table um, and they're able to, to... uh, look after things, you know, outside of the scope of just the facility itself. So to monitor crime around the area, to be there to deal with issues as they come up. And um, really, I mean, this isn't an issue that mental health isn't really something that we want to as a society be dealing with through law enforcement alone or, you know, paying for EMS to pick people up off the sidewalk every time they have an issue. We need... Um, counselors and, and medical staff to to help people with their health issues but also to get them um, get them on a better track.
As I said, we're we're definitely uh, putting in the request to talk with the police just as we roll these out because I think mm-hmm. uh, I think Brandy Payne said in the next couple of weeks we're going to see uh, temporary trailers at Sheldon Schumer. Is that your understanding? Right. Yes. And and the reason I want to talk with uh, Chief Chaffin or anyone within CPS is it must be so weird that they know people because they're bringing in their own drugs. Mm-hmm. And I even had a texter last week say, oh, so now it's it's legal to have heroin, to possess heroin. So there must be with, within the police saying that we don't, we're not going to waste our time with the, the users as much as we want to find the people who are selling the drugs or, you know, going after the bigger yeah. fish. Because I think that's sometimes people who are still not quite clear on these consumption sites are saying, so the police turn a blind eye to people coming in with illegal drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a better conversation to have with them. I, yeah. I think um, that's why enforcement is still important, but, you know, more importantly from dealing with the larger trafficking issues. And again, you know, um, a lot of addictions also start just from actually prescribed use. Yeah. So I think at the last press announcement, there was someone um, who was talking about a family member who uh, had someone who I think was in a car accident and they were prescribed painkillers and over a period of time they became addicted and after their prescription ended, their um, their consumption didn't stop yeah. and then they turned to illegal ways of acquiring drugs. And, um, and so we can't leave those people sort of just to fend for themselves. I think we've seen what happens and in the last few years we've We've only seen an increase in the number of uh, deaths from overdoses. So it's a big crisis. I mean, more people are dying uh, from this than from homicide and from car collisions combined in Calgary. So um, obviously we need to, to look at this differently. And I think the province is going in the right direction here. I wonder, and and at this point, it's a Sheldon Schumer Center. It's a different situation in Edmonton where there's going to be at least four, you know, there's the concern from businesses that it's in a concentrated area of of four of these consumption sites. At this point, we just have Sheldon Schumer. Um, But what you're, it sounds like, before I let you go, it sounds like the, the community is welcoming this and they're ready to see how it rolls out. Yeah, and I mean... For us, it's also important to, I think, to move. We understand uh, that the modular unit outside is only temporary yeah. as an interim solution while they finish the renovations inside the tumor, and it's important to get the service up and running. Um, but we really do think it's best both for the users and for the community that you know the service is fully integrated into the center so that... Um, it's part of the complete package of healthcare services there and not something that's seen as this extra little silo on the side. Yeah. Peter, so, uh, really, mm-hmm. sorry I didn't mean to cut you off, but I really appreciate your time. I wanted to open up the phone lines, and so I'll let you go, but thanks so much. Okay. Thanks so much, Angela. Peter Oliver, he's the president of the Beltline Neighborhoods Association. So that neighborhood, as he says, the second most populated, I think he said, in all of the country. And so high density, they've seen this already. It's not as if this is going to be the first time that the drug addicts have been in the neighborhood. They're already there. So the idea of having this safe consumption site, it sounds like it's going to be a solution. I want to open up the lines to you, though. I've got a few minutes on the other side of the break. 403-974-8255. Didn't really have a chance to talk to you about it last week when when I had Brandy Payne on with the announcement. Now I want to hear from you. 403-974-8255. 
Good Wednesday afternoon. How you doing? 12. 12. That was the number of trick-or-treaters we had last night. Now, I was betting on around 20. I've told you before, old neighborhood, end of a cul-de-sac, the beginning of the cul-de-sac, no one puts any decorations up. There's only a few of us near the end of the cul-de-sac. So I wasn't surprised. I was betting on 20. However, I think the rain changed everything so we were happy with our 12 but when I was betting on 20 my husband thought we only have 30 treats maybe we have to buy another package of 40 treats just in case we were close with our guests so now we have 40 chocolate bars that we quickly threw in the freezer (laughs) and maybe over the next year we will slowly treat ourselves once every couple of weeks take out a lovely little arrow bar or a wonder bar. So, hope you had a, a great Halloween. And now it is back to work. Last week, we talked about the safe consumption sites. I had Associate Health Minister Brandy Payne on because that was just when Health Canada gave the go-ahead for the next safe consumption site in this province. Earlier, we had heard four in Edmonton, one in Lethbridge. And then last week, it was announced that Sheldon Schumer would be setting up a safe consumption site as well, as quickly as within the next week or so, because yesterday we talked with the the neighborhood association, the Beltline Neighborhood Association, Peter Oliver. And so I wanted to finish up this conversation and um, give you an opportunity to share some thoughts as well. 403-974-8255. Ran out of time to get a lot of your feedback because we were up against the well, the very important news conference in New York in relation to the tragedy that occurred there. And so I thought a final piece of this, well, probably there's more pieces yet to come, but I wanted to bring in Jason Walker. He's the unit sergeant for the Guns and Gangs Unit with the Calgary Police Service, just to kind of give the perspective from CPS when it comes to these consumption sites. Jason, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Angela. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. And I wanted to bring you on because even talking with Peter Oliver yesterday, he said it was back in the spring when their neighborhood association was approached with this proposal that they wanted to set up this safe consumption site. So they wanted to bring in the community. And he said there was lots of stakeholders involved, especially CPS. And ever since we've been talking about safe consumption sites, by the way, do you like the term safe consumption sites? Because there's a couple of different terms out there. I think the term they prefer to use is supervised consumption services. All right, supervised. I knew I was going <laughs> there. Right. You know what? Uh, but it's funny, I'll tell you, there's a lot in the name, though, Ange. Yeah. And the reason for it is really when we're talking about the consumption of, of some of these very dangerous illicit drugs, really there's no safe way to do it. Yeah. Um, but the idea behind these sites is to provide that, that, that supervised environment where they have the right people in place to monitor and, and the oversight. All right, supervised consumption facilities. What was your last term there? Supervised Consumption Services, FCS, is the acronym that you'll start seeing a lot out there in relation to this. I want to make sure we're on the same page in that way. And and probably every time I talk about these services, I get texts from people saying, what? We're allowing people to take illegal drugs. How do you, as a, a member of CPS, kind of... Uh, come to terms with that because it sounds like everything I've heard when it comes to the police, they, they're supportive of these sites or services, but do you hear feedback from people saying, ultimately, these people are taking illegal drugs? 
Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, the uh, the very engagement sessions that Peter was referring to, we took part in a number of them. I sat in on a number of them, listening to a lot of the community concerns and, and answering a lot of questions, both at these at these sessions and, and offline and, and other little lines of work that we do and all the different people that we speak to out in the community. And, and the reality is, as we try to share with people and help them understand, uh, this site and others like it have been set up with the idea of providing services to those that are they're already in the community and they're already out there and they have addiction related issues and they're using these drugs anyways. Um, in many cases, they're using them in back alleys, in fast food, uh, restaurant washrooms, in places that are of great concern to the community. Uh, it impacts quality of life, it impacts social disorder, it can impact crime. So really the functionality um, for all the reasons why these services are being brought into the community one of them is to take these people and give them a safe, sanitary place to go and use the drugs that they're going to go and use anyways. Just right now, they're doing it in back alleys and in restrooms. And so that's the way you can say, all right, they would be doing this anyway. Now we're giving them a site to ensure that it is a safe consumption. Well, it is, and that's only part of the equation, though. Again, I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of, um, um, of health care professionals and harm reduction specialists over the last year or so, because the, the, the bigger piece to that is to get them in the door to build the relationship, to build the trust, so eventually, uh, when they're ready, they can get the help they need to deal with their addiction-related issues, uh, often mental health-related issues. These are vulnerable people that need help. There's a whole spectrum of services out there, but there's a lot of barriers, and, and first and foremost, usually for a lot of these folks, is their vulnerability the fact they're stigmatized, the fact they haven't got a trusted relationship with somebody that has access to help them site-navigate where they can go to get the help they need. Jason, how long have you been an officer? Uh, going on 21 years now. 21 years ago, did you ever imagine you would be okay with this idea? No, I don't. I think my mindset uh, was significantly different when you go back into my the earlier days of my career. But really, when I think back to the way I was, part of it was just seeing it through one lens, which mm-hmm. is, look, these are people out there using drugs. Why should we allow that? They should just stop. They've made bad decisions. And over the course of my career, just sort of being educated, I spent 10 years policing downtown and just meeting these people over and over again, meeting the types of agencies out there trying to provide services to provide the assistance. You start to bridge that gap and you start to appreciate it's just not that simple. There are so many vulnerable people out there that didn't choose this lifestyle. Um, In many cases, uh, they're not just the people that we see downtown on the streets. They're people that live in our communities with us. They're our neighbors. They're people that have developed addictions maybe because they got prescribed opioids for pain management and they had a vulnerability that that impacted with. And next thing you know, they've got an addiction issue. This is happening more and more often. And, And these are the folks, too, that we have to reach out to and try to get the services for that they need as well. And in many cases, that's the bigger danger, too, because they're, they're that much more stigmatized. Um, they have a hard time basically presenting themselves to their neighbors, to their work peers, to their communities, and admitting they have these kinds of issues and they need help. So when we talk about supervised consumption services, it's not just for people that are downtown and on the streets. It's for everybody. And I'm glad you pointed that out because every time we have this conversation, I, I get people saying it was because of a painkiller I was prescribed. Yeah. And, 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 and Jason, you even touched on this, that this is a bigger, more complicated issue because I think we also, especially with the opioid crisis, we have to look at why it's gotten to the point where it has, whether it be for painkillers or whether it be drugs coming over from Asia. So it's pretty complicated, and this is just one part of trying to deal with it, cope with it? 
Absolutely. And, and what's important to remember, and, and again, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of working with the folks that have helped to educate me over the last couple of years, and I share it with my fellow officers and other community stakeholders, which is the idea that the supervised consumption services aren't meant to be a standalone site. They're not meant to be just a place where people can go and use drugs. They're meant to be one piece of a real broad spectrum of harm reduction. It's about getting help to the people that need it where they are right now to build them up so that they're ready to get more help down the road to deal with the underlying issues. Jason, you mentioned the crime, the impact it's having on crime. I want to take a break here because I have had people say, I don't like what I see when I've been on East Hastings in Vancouver uh, surrounding a supervised consumption site there. So I want to talk about whether you have any hard facts that we've seen a reduction in crime when we open up these types of facilities. Jason Walker is my guest, unit sergeant for the Guns and Gangs Unit with the CPS. I'm Angela Cocott, 403-974-8255. You can send in your texts if uh, it's a question that maybe Jason can answer. I will throw it over to him. But right now, we'll take a break. All right, getting lots of texts on the idea of supervised consumption services. Trying to move away from thinking of safe consumption because, as my guest Jason Walker points out, drugs aren't safe. I mean, it's you probably never find a situation where it's safe to take drugs. Well, illegal drugs. Uh, Jason, I've screwed that up. But still, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Supervised consumption services. Uh, a couple of things here. Oh, I always get this text as well. Are the uh, drug addicts bringing in their own illegal drugs or is it provided for them? Yeah, the services that have been set up with the Shumir site will, will be uh, the instance in which they bring their own illicit drugs down to the site to use. I just can't believe I'm talking to a sergeant who is just saying, yeah, they bring in their own illicit drugs. Uh, You know, uh, I think it goes back to this whole idea of enforcement. Maybe we don't target the little the drug users. We've got to look at the bigger picture of who's uh, supplying the drugs to them. Is that the way I can kind of rationalize this? Oh, absolutely. The chief has said it himself. We don't we don't believe in criminalizing addiction. And when we're talking about people that have addiction issues, in in most cases, these are vulnerable people. Again, they if they could wave a magic wand and wave away the addiction, they would. Um, and so when we're trying to police these communities, and that's one of the concerns a lot of folks have too, is what would the police response be when we have these kinds of, of services and sites in various communities. And, and the reality is we're going to treat it like we would any other social agency, social service that gives services to the vulnerable. And we're going to have an eye for the community and we're going to police it like we always do. And the expectation we have is the people making use of the site are going to do it responsibly. And when they're passing through the community, um, they're going to be doing it in a way that is in keeping with what the people that live and work there would like to see. And if there's challenges around that, then, then we're going to address that as well. Have we seen those addicts passing through communities and a drop in crime? Because we know, again, with the opioid crisis, we've had lots of break and enters, lots of car thefts as the addicts try to get something to feed their addiction. Yeah, and you know, the certainly the what we refer to as acquiescent crime, and, and that is the types of, of crimes that get committed. And, and again, the intuitive piece is to support to support habits out there. So whether it's that detached garage break and enter, that vehicle prowling, those sorts of things, you know, we do we have been able to draw a correlation between the the roughly the amount of drugs we have in Calgary and the type of acquiescence crime going on. But specific to the communities themselves, though, um, and you mentioned Vancouver yeah. and that you had some texts around that. So I've, I've been to the downtown east side in Vancouver. In fact, a few of us went out 
earlier this year, and we visited Insight and the downtown east side location and what's called the Crosstown Clinic out there as well. And for people that get concerned about what they see out there, and again, I, I have walked those streets, and yeah, it is disturbing, but let's remember the Beltline is not the downtown east side. And what you see out in Vancouver has been in the making for decades. Um, in fact, the folks out there we spoke to basically explained since the end of World War II, that place has been developing to what it's become and the challenges they have with crime and social disorder down there have existed long before the uh, the supervised consumption services ever showed up. So it's hard for us to make that kind of comparison in terms of what the impacts will be in Calgary because for us now, with this site opening up, it's the first of its kind in, in Alberta, um, certainly the first of its kind in Calgary. So what we are looking to do is we've put together some very careful baselines around uh, social disorder and crime and quality of life. And in the months ahead, we're going to be keeping book on what the impact has been in the Beltline community mm. and specifically around the Shumir and then responding accordingly and reporting back to the community and the, and the police commission and the city on what those results have been. Yeah, because a lot of people are saying, I need to see some facts here. I need to see some numbers that we are seeing a decrease because even back to Vancouver, yes, that situation's been a long time in the making, but Insight's been there for quite a while as well. And some people are saying, what difference has it made? So yeah. um, different situation and we will stay on top of it. Here's a couple of other texts and I know you'll be uh, able to help me out here. And to solve this great area, or this gray area, I think is what they're saying, to solve this gray area, why don't we say that if they use drugs in these supervised sites, then it's not illegal. Then the cops don't have to scratch their heads or try to figure out how this is illegal, but they're still closing their eyes to it. Uh, do you understand where my texture oh, is coming I, from? I think so, and as I answer it, correct me if I'm off base here, but that, that's the whole idea. So the exemption granted by Health Canada is specific to these sites so that when people are inside of these facilities, they are exempted from any criminal sanction around personal possession of a controlled substance. So that's the whole point. When they're behind those closed doors and they're under the care of the folks that run these, these sites, uh, there's no issue with them being in possession of a controlled substance. We don't, we're not in there, we have nothing to do with it, and it's not about turning a blind eye, they've been actually federally exempted within within that facility. Uh, another person says, very informative opinion from your guest, excellent interview, but before your head gets too big, Jason, another person says, BS, money grab for these nonprofit help groups. They are the only winners. So here's someone who's saying, this is all just about the social service agencies as opposed to really helping the problem. Agree or oh, disagree? Oh, yeah, no, I, I disagree entirely. At the end of the day, I mean, I, mean you, I guess you can talk about money and where it flows from the government, but this is about vulnerable people that are suffering, and while they suffer, the community they're a part of a suffering as well. And again, you just go back to all the concerns communities have when they've got people with addiction and mental health issues that are at the street level uh, wandering around their communities, and um, it's a concern for them for a variety of reasons. It's about addressing that because one of the challenges we have, and again, I'm going to kind of quote the chief here, you know, we can try and attack supply forever, and we won't stop doing that. It's always part of the police mandate, the enforcement piece. But at the end of the day, we have to also help reduce demand. Otherwise, these challenges will never go away because, to your point earlier on, the influx of these, these powerful drugs, these powerful opioids and others that are they're coming in from all over the place, and you mentioned mainland Asia, and that's accurate as well. The point is it's just so inexpensive to bring them in that by themselves they won't go away if all we do is attack supply. We have to reduce the demand, and that means working with the people that have these addiction and mental health-related issues. There's no other way to do it. Do we have numbers where we see a reduction in overdose deaths or uh, people who are actually kicking the habit when it comes to these services? You know what? There is a lengthy list of fantastic people in the, in the harm reduction community that can speak to you about that. I, I have the pleasure of speaking to many of them 
and the trending around the studies they present would suggest you absolutely will see positive numbers when it comes to uh, public overdoses, when it comes to uh, drug paraphernalia and refuse in communities, um, ambulance, ambulance uses, that sort of thing as well. But all of them speak to that versus yeah. the police officer doing it. I told you, I've got lots of other people I have to talk to before this conversation, before we actually start to understand it even more. And the final one, uh, interesting question here, though. Cannabis versus opiates versus alcohol. What is the officer's opinion? Is it all the same to him? Uh, no, I think you can you can have a pretty broad conversation yeah. about some of the uh, some of the differences around all that sort of thing, um, alcohol, cannabis, and some of these more powerful illicit opioids that we're talking about right now. But that's probably a much bigger conversation. But definitely not the same. But, the but I think Jason, you would agree, it's not the same. They're they're all coming with their own issues, and um, it's not the same when you lump those all together. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the common denominator amongst all the things when we talk about alcohol and opioids is the, is the issue of addiction and mental health. I mean, that's going to be a foundational issue no matter what. But in terms of the science behind some of these different drugs we're talking about, that's where it kind of splits off. Jason, I appreciate your time. My pleasure, Angela. Great talking to you again. And by the way, um, 150 trick-or-treaters at my place. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay, thanks, Jason. There's no <laughs> leftover care. chocolate for you, that's for Not sure. Not Thank God. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank goodness for that. Uh, 403-974-8255, um, a number of texts that I couldn't get to in phone calls as well. I've got to shift the conversation, and I'll try to share some of those texts before 4 o'clock. I'm Angela Cocott. You're listening to Calgary Today.